morning I would like to pick up on three passages in uh, chapter 1, uh, and then Ant will move, I believe next week we're going to chapter 2, so we, we, we're getting along at quite a pace here. Um, but we're still in chapter 1, and there are three passages that I would like to focus on this morning uh, for us to, to have a closer look at. And I will read those three sections. The first is from, uh, obviously, Colossians 1, but verses 3 to 6. We always thank God, our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which we have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Second passage is from verse 22 to 23. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And the final passage towards the end of the chapter, Colossians 1.27 to them Christ has chosen to make known amongst the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I'm guessing by now you will have picked up that I want to look at the issue of hope in, as it's used in this chapter. Um, some of you will have been here a while ago when our very good friend Andrew Ollerton came and spoke to us about hope. Who was here during that service? I found it a real blessing. I found it a real um, encouragement. And Possibly it would be a good thing to refer to that before I go any further, because he defined biblical hope for us in a very simple and, and understandable way. And the first thing that he pointed out was that when hope is used in the Bible, it is often used in a way that is different to the way that we use hope casually. We say, I hope Liverpool will win. Um, we have no guarantee. It's just something that we would like to have happen. It's a 50-50 chance. But we would hope that they would have, I hope it's not going to rain today, which if you live in the UK, you hope every day, and it's often not fulfilled. But the way that hope is used very often in the Bible is as an assurance, a confidence, something that we know, something that encourages us. It's our hope for the future, but it's not a wishful thinking. It's an established, done deal, as it were. Andrew uses this definition, and I would like to find it. There it is. Um, he says, and I like his definition, hope is the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain that we can live for it now. And to read that again, hope is the confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain that we can live for it now. And what I loved about the sermon that he gave was the example he gave of rock climbing. He's an avid rock climber, and he spoke about the fact that when you climb in a team, Everything rests on the person who climbs first. You are tied and roped into that person, and they make their way up the cliff face. Usually it will be the most skilled person, the most experienced person, and as they go, they will tie the, 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 the rope into the rock with pitons and all the different things that they use until eventually they summit. Once they have reached the summit and they belay the rope off and tie it to something, the rest of the people that are tied onto that rope are assured that they will reach the summit. It may be a difficult route. You may swing off the rope on occasions and bump your knees, but you are roped in and your assurance is already established at the summit of the cliff. You are going to make it up. How well you climb is going to affect 
how quickly you make it up and how, what kind of a shape you're in when you reach the top. But because the lead climber has reached there, you will make it. That is an assurance. That is the hope that you have. And it's, you're not hanging on that rope going, well, this is 50-50, I'm going to make it up. You're saying the rope is tied off. I'm going to get there. The wonderful scripture, which was quoted, and I need to find this here. We are. Where did I put it? Here we are. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, this was the scripture that tied that example. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf, and he's become a priest forever. And the point Andrew made to us was that Jesus has already overcome sin and death. He has climbed the cliff. He has done it for us. He has entered in. It talks about being behind the valley. He's entered into the presence of God. He's seated at the right hand of God. And if we are in him, if we have given our lives to him, we are tied in and anchored into that place. That's where we're going. We're going to heaven. We may bump our knees along the way. We may slip and fall against the rock face. We may take longer than we should have because we didn't climb as well as we should have. But that's where we're going. And because we have that hope in the future, we can tackle what we're facing today. Lots of songs bring that to our mind. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We have this hope of going forward. And that's, I want to just use what Andrew had said to establish that before we move on and then look at it as it's used in the context of this particular chapter. Because we start off with the first reference in this chapter. Let me read it to you again in verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. We always thank God, our Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of your love, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, the faith and love that they are showing to other people that spring from the hope that they have in heaven, the hope that they have in the gospel. This is a congregation of people, it appears, who are known for the way that they treat each other, for their faith and for their love. He says, I've heard of this, as Anne pointed out a number of times. This is not a church that Paul planted that was planted by somebody else. He has heard of them. They have a reputation. And their reputation is of a church that is full of faith and love. And he says, this springs from the hope that you have. I believe, and I think you will agree with me, that we are profoundly influenced in the way that we treat people by the way that we feel and believe about ourselves and our circumstances. We treat others from the place where we live. If we're in a place of confidence and hope, we're in a better place to reach out to others than we are if we're in a place of despair and fear. And when you take away people's hope and confidence, they become more and more self-centered. I quite often use examples of my time that I spent in the military. In the country I come from, everybody went to the army for a couple of years as part of national service. And in those kind of circumstances, you see human nature brought out quite raw when you put people under extreme pressure. We were doing a leadership course when I first started, and one of the things that they like to do in the army was put you through an exercise that they call fussbait. Anybody here done fussbait? Okay, it means bite down in... in, in the colloquial sense, it means to hang in there. And what they do is they send you on a five-day route march. 
and they just make it as miserable for you as they possibly can. They load you with enormous weights to carry around and then you'll, you'll have your whole full pack on and they'll give you a motor car tire to carry with you and then later two of you will have to carry a bed between you or something and they just make your life miserable. They give you as little food and water as you can survive on. They take you out in the worst possible weather and they just try and see if they can break you down and they watch very closely. We were in an officer's training course to see if you were the material that they could use to lead people later. It was miserable. It was something that was legendary when you started the course and you just knew that one, they didn't warn you about it either. You just woke up one morning and they said, right, fuss bait, here you go. So you couldn't even psychologically prepare yourself. You just went out and they would wait. I was in a place called Otsur in the middle of a semi-desert. They wait till the middle of winter when it was cold and miserable and they would send you off on this road. And they would try and break you down and people did break down. And what you would see was good, decent people would become entirely selfish and they would steal from one another. They would steal bottles of water. They would steal food. They would lie. They would cheat. They would do anything they could just to survive because they had been broken down to a point where their confidence in their ability to finish the race was broken. Those are the people that generally left the course after Fussbait. We'd start it and we'd have about 40% less by the end of the exercise would be sent off the course because they hadn't Fussbated. It was designed, and, and you would see this thing if there's no hope, if there's no confidence, the way you treat other people changes. This group of people had an eternal hope, an eternal awareness of, of God. You know, another example I don't know, I'm a school teacher. Over the years, I've met a lot of bullies. I've never met a happy bully, I've never met a confident bully. They may have swagger about them, but the moment you confront them, they tend to crumble. Because what's happening is from the hurt and the lack of confidence and the lack of hope inside them, they feel a need to manipulate people around them to hide that and to protect themselves. And so all that they do is often to distract from the fact that they're not very happy about something about themselves. I've never met a bully that I've sat down in my office that has been a pleasant person to spend time with because of their confidence and their hope for the future. It just doesn't go together. And Paul says to this group of people, I've heard of your faith and your love that you show to all of God's people, which springs from the hope that is within you. It's a, it's a reason for us to keep that hope before us. You know, sometimes when people criticize Christianity, they, they, they mock what they call pie in the sky when you die. Our Christians, they, they just... They're here to suffer through the earth because one day in heaven they're going to have a good time. There'll be pie in the sky when you die. In the meantime, you're going to suffer your way through. And for that reason, often we don't feel that it's right to talk about the hope for the future that we have. But we have the confidence that we win. We win. We get there. And when we get there, it's awesome. And from that confidence... If we allow ourselves to, to realize, I am not just this person that stands before you. I can pick myself to pieces as I stand before you. There are so many things that I don't like about myself. There are so many things that I'm not confident about. There are so many things that I'm embarrassed about that I could stand here and say, I can't even stand up and speak to these people. Who, who do I think I am? But Christ has given me a hope. 
and a confidence that He has decided to anchor me in heavenly places. That I am valuable. That I am precious to Him. That my inheritance is secured. That He has empowered me. That He has given me gifts and, 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 and abilities and talents that I can use for Him. And I can use those from that place of knowing that I'm tied into Him. Let me take Andrew's example a step further. If I was climbing up the cliff face and I wasn't roped into somebody and somebody else who's not roped in begins to get into trouble, if I'm just hanging on by my fingernails and I'm barely keeping myself against the cliff face, it's unlikely I'm going to stick out my hand and say, hang on to me, I'll help you. But if I'm fully aware that I'm tied into the guy who's got to the top and that's tied there, and I know I can't fall, I'm held on, then I'm going to be far more con concerned and ready to stick out my hand and say, hold on to me because I'm anchored in. I want to encourage you to let that hope grow in your heart, to, be, to make yourself aware of that hope that is there. We are anchored into the rock. We can afford to reach out. We can afford to embarrass ourselves. You know, find yourself in positions sometimes where to speak out for Jesus can be an embarrassing situation. And we, we go, I really felt I should have said that, but it was kind of awkward, you know. People would have thought I was one of those Jesus people freaks. And we don't have the confidence because we think it all depends on our charisma and our ability to do things. If I know that I have that anchor tied in, I need to be able to reach out as these people were and say, right, grab on. I know where I'm going. Hold on to me. You can't lead people where you haven't been and where you don't know you're going. I heard a very sad quote. Someone quoted an outgoing bishop of Norfolk many years ago who said to the new incoming bishop, Welcome to Norfolk. If you want to lead people here, find out where they're going and walk in front. It speaks a strength of character for the people of the area, but it's an indictment on leadership, is it not? We can lead. We can bring people. We can bring them to the rope because we have that assurance. And Paul notices that and he sees that and he commends them on that. But he doesn't assume that it's just an automatic thing because he goes on in the second part. It's, it's, you know, I've written here, until we are able and choose to center ourselves in the confidence of our position and calling in Christ, we will be inclined to be sporadic in our ability and desire to reach out in love and faith to impact on the lives of others. And isn't that the challenge that we have? There are times that I'm fired up for God, and there are times that I'm just, yeah, it's okay. But if I center myself on that confidence and hope of who I am in Christ, I can consistently be in a place where I'm reaching out to people and want to be touching people's lives. Can you maybe recall the first flush if you're somebody who gave your life to Christ and had a dramatic change in your life? When you first meet Christ, do you want to tell everybody? You ever been in that situation or met someone like that? They're just so excited about the reality of what's happened in their life. And they so much want to tell people that it just bubbles out of them. And it's the main focus. They just want to tell you that Jesus has saved them. The Apostle Paul was like that. He's on the road to Damascus. The light hits him. He's blinded. He's off on the ground. He meets Jesus. He goes in, in, into uh, the city. He's there until Ananias, Ananias comes to him and prays for him, and his eyes are open. And what does he do straight away? He starts preaching to the extent that they want to kill him in the city. It just bubbles out of him. He wants to do it. But have you also seen that in our lives, often that initial enthusiasm then becomes tempered 
the longer we become churched, we begin to know the right way to behave as a Christian and the right level of, of dignity to hold. And we become reliant on the programs of the church and, 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 and those who have positions of, of responsibility in the church. It's their job to evangelize. Those who go on mission or whatever. And, and we become focused not anymore on this bubbling out of ourselves of the joy that we have in Christ, but we begin to become irritated by the color that they've chosen to paint the hall or the color of the chairs that the leadership have bought or horror of horrors, irritated by somebody who's chosen to sit in the chair that you prefer to sit in. And our focus begin, begins to go to the processes and the systems and, and the things that are put in place. And that original bubbling over of the hope and the joy that we have begins to fade. Motivation changes. Our main hope is no longer in the gospel, but in what we can do. And we begin to look to our abilities, and we begin to look to those things that we have experienced in our past experiences. And our hope begins to turn on what we can do and those that we trust and love can do. And it's good to have that trust and love, and it's good to have the church a nice color and to agree with the color of the seats and, and all of those things. But where is that focus? And Paul says in the, in, in the second passage that I read, um, He says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And to said on a number of occasions, he wants us to be a gospel-centered church. Our focus, our center, is the good news of Jesus Christ that releases people from bondage. And if our focus stays on that, on the gospel, which is our hope, then our desire to reach out will remain fresh and new I shouldn't make notes because I always go away from them. Um, I just want to quote from a, from a song that came to my mind as I was preparing for that. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Songwriter's words for, I dare not trust in anything else, no matter how sweet or wonderful it is. Holy trust in Jesus' name. The day that we begin to focus in our church here in, in St. Albans on the basis of the building and the facilities and the way that we can serve things or the coffee shop or how eloquent we are or how well we play, when that becomes our focus, when that becomes what we focus on, we're not doing what Paul has said to the Colossians. He's saying to them, stay in that hope of the gospel. Let that be the foundation that you move on. And I want to encourage you in your personal testimony to people as you hang on the rope and reach out your hands to them. Let that be what motivates you. Don't become lulled by the fact that you've been a Christian for 20 years and you can say the right thing at the right time in the right place to the right people. Let the freshness of that hope that is yours, the revelation of that incredible mystery. You know, guys, the Bible talks about mystery a lot. There's a mystery to me. Why does he choose to love me so much? I don't know. I haven't earned it. But he does. And if I have confidence in that incredible love, then I'll have the confidence to share it and to reach out. So here's a catchphrase for you. Be roped in and reaching out. Be roped in and reaching out. And finally, how do we stay in this hope? How do we 
place ourselves in a place where we stay in this hope. Very, very powerful scripture that we read at the end of this chapter, verse 27. And it says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, this wonderful mystery of the gospel of the love of Christ, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace to you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, verses 13 and 14. What you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. God, the good deposit was entrusted to you, guarded with the help of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is not external. Our hope is not established as an extrinsic hope. It's within us. On the day that I gave my life to Christ, God returned the favor by placing His Holy Spirit inside me. I'm not alone wherever I am. The fullness of God is in me, and in Him is that hope. You know, we sang a song Spirit break out, break our walls down. I guess it's a good song, but how much better if we break the walls down ourselves? You know, my experience of the Holy Spirit is He's incredibly powerful. He can, he can shake buildings, but He's incredibly gentle. And He hasn't come through my life like a policeman in a movie, kicking doors down and breaking into places. He's come in when I've surrendered and opened up and invited him in. And we have a constant reminder of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the hope that we have of eternity dwelling within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Christ in us, the hope of glory. I want to encourage you so much not to be afraid to be intimate with God's Holy Spirit in your life. We are so often, we know God the Father, He's the one on the throne up in heaven. We know Christ the Son because we have very clear descriptions of Him as He was physically on the earth. Holy Spirit is powerful, but I'm a little bit scared to engage. When Jesus was about to leave and He was speaking to His disciples and He was giving them the task to be roped in and reaching out, as it were, for their generation, He said, you've got this job to do. You've got this job to be witnesses around the world. You've got this job to spread the gospel. Don't start until you receive this gift that I'm with my Father sending. Don't start until you have that assurance inside you. The Holy Spirit is about power, yes. We learn about the power gifts of the Holy Spirit and so forth. He is power, but He's also comforter, parakletos, the comforter, the one who reassures us, the one who teaches us, the one who guides us. How do we stay in this hope from day to day? Guys, the world is shouting everything but hope at us. It really is. It's turning into a circus out there. And the media selects the least hopeful things to give to us every day. So we wake up and we see how many people have died, how many people are, are massing to, to want to fight each other in this place, how many people have robbed, how many people have that, and how many people are dying of this. And it just comes at us. And we've got to go into this world and reach out. So the, the cliff we're climbing is very well defined. God knew that. 
What's happening in the world today has not caught God by surprise. You need to know that. He's not going up there, I didn't know this was going to happen. Oy vey. He's not doing that. If that's your depiction of God, you've got him underrated. He knew what you would be going through this moment. And he said, they're going to need to have hope. I will give them the hope of the gospel. I will give them the assurance. Let me read again what Andrew said. The confident expectation of a glorious future that is so certain that we can live for it now. I will give them that. And more than that, I will dwell in them to remind them of that, to be in conversation with them about that. I want to encourage you, be intimate with the Holy Spirit. Talk to God. Talk to Him all day. Talk to Him when you're happy. Talk to Him when you're sad. Talk to Him when you're confident. Talk to Him when you're scared. Talk to Him as if He was here because He is. He's not far away. He's not sitting millennia away in light years. He's dwelling in you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that same Christ that's sitting in us by His awesome power has seated us with Him at the right hand of God. We are anchored. We are in. We're tied on. And we have this hope to reach out from. Paul's exhorting these guys, you know, it was not in Paul's nature to keep things to himself. He was a missionary. And one of the things he would have wanted for every church that he was involved in is don't sit there, draw the barriers around you, batten down, become defense-minded. He wants them to go out and touch the world, and he wants them to do that because they're filled with this incredible hope that we are entitled to. And that's exactly what our Heavenly Father wants us to be now. An outward-reaching, outward-looking, gospel-centered church with a hope for the future that is within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that every time I open your word, you encourage me. That every time I have your character and your nature revealed to me, it makes me able to trust you more. That the more I explore who you are, the bigger you become. I thank you, Lord, for the gift of your precious Holy Spirit in our lives. I thank you for your presence here with us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place of encouragement with one another and this place of support and, and joy, that we will take an awareness of your presence and of the hope that you bring us in our lives into the workplace, into the marketplace, into our neighborhood, into our friendships, into our families. And from that place of, of confidence in who you are and who we are in you, that we will be able to reach out. From that will spring the love and faith to reach out to other people. Thank you, Lord, that we have something so precious to share. Would you give us the courage to share it? Amen.